wonderful thing about the Lord is the song says, right, that He brings change. He brings change. And we're going to talk about that this month. Colossians chapter 1. Actually, we're going to refer to this text, not this text, but this book a couple of times this month. And so it's going to be the book that we go to a couple of times as we talk about the the subject of growth. Uh, Last month, I spoke to you about growing your faith and the one aspect and learning from some of the people in the Bible that have helped us with that or perhaps haven't helped us with that in a positive way, but we can learn from them. Um, This month, it's going to look at at four different things. We're going to talk today about growing yourself. Next week, we're going to talk about helping others to grow. Uh, And then we're going to talk about growing the church, which sounds like others, but I'm going to approach it from a different angle. And then about growing the gospel uh, at the end of the month. Uh, Let me take you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, 11, and 12. Uh, reading from the New International Version. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. That's the goal right there. Living a life that's worthy of the Lord and that in everything you do, you please Him in every way. How will we do that? Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. I've entitled the theme for the whole month, Choosing to Grow. Reminding yourself that it is a choice like most things. We choose to do things or we choose not to do things. If we neglect something, it's because we've chosen to neglect it. And if we've emphasized something, it's because we've chosen to do that as well. We're not looking at this kind of in the middle ground of of nothingness. There is no in the middle ground of nothingness. You're either choosing to grow or you're choosing not to grow. And if you're choosing not to grow, then you know what the fruit of that's going to be. But the, the overall goal went, that Paul is talking about to, to two churches there, because you have to understand that this letter is going to two, two destinations. It's going to the church at Colossae, and it's also going to the church at Laodicea. These two churches are very close in physical proximity to them, to each other. And so two churches are getting hold of this. And he's reminding them that the goal of the Christian life is to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in every way. It's difficult, I think, if you press into this to to think about what it means to to live a life worthy of the Lord. Because we all understand that uh, salvation is by grace through faith and that it's nothing that we bring to the table. It's all about what God has done for us in Christ. So the point of this isn't earning what God has done for you. Because you can't. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. So it's not talking about that. It's not talking about, in a sense, living up to the family name and all of those kinds of things. And so there are things that you must do necessarily in order to, you know, reach the status that the family would want you to to do so. We are going to talk about some of the doing things. 
But we understand that it's, it's about what God has done for us in Christ. And so we are not trying to earn worthiness or earn salvation or earn status or position with Him. But, but it is in relation to how we conduct ourselves as Christians. That there is there's a model in front of us called Jesus. And that it is our responsibility to live up to that model. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, obviously, and, and in obedience to the Scriptures. But we want to walk in a way so that we look like our Lord. That we talk like our Lord. That we, we think like our Lord. That people wouldn't see us in the same family picture and go, Do you really belong? And so it goes on to say, pleasing Him, Jesus, pleasing Him in every way. We spend a fair amount of our, our time in life trying to please other people. We do. And when you're a little kid, uh, it's about pleasing mom and dad at home, uh, maybe grandma and grandpa. It's, it's about pleasing the teachers at school. If you're on a sporting team, it's about pleasing the coach and if you have a crazy parent in the stands again they're there again when when Kyle played hockey uh, this is back before they'd even invented Zambonis Uh, when Kyle played hockey uh, I I was one of those you know uh, crazy parents I never said stuff like kill the ref or anything like that for those of you that may be our referees and linesmen never said anything like that but I was I was loud Surprised by that? And, um, you know, every once in a while my wife would tap me on the knee, right? And, and I mean, and there are other loud parents, and there are parents saying, like, crazy things sometimes. But I never really thought that I was that bad. And then one day a relative came to watch Kyle play hockey, and he uh, videotaped it. With the volume, right? And strangely enough, there was one voice, not so much in the background, but in the foreground that you could hear all the time. And it dawned on me, I'm loud. I want to tone it down, Brent. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Kyle understood what it was to please Dad in the, uh, in the stands. But we've been trained to please people. It, at work, uh, you know, depending whether you work for one person or several people, you understand that it's very important to please them, keep them happy, do the job, be productive. Uh, because there are people that you need to please. There's going to be, you know, the, the year-end review, and they're going to talk to you about your performance. And so you better make sure that they are well pleased. I wonder how much time we spend about thinking about pleasing Jesus. If that's one of those thoughts that not just randomly comes into our mind, but all the time is there, that when we get up in the morning and we begin our day and we're thinking about all of the social interactions that we're going to have, uh, perhaps starting if you're married, perhaps starting with your, your spouse and then working your way through your kids and then, you know, the person at Tim Hortons or at McDonald's or Starbucks, and then, you know, the people at the office or at the plant, 
and then, you know, all through the day and then back again, right? When you've had your day and you're coming back to the house. Um, do we think about pleasing Jesus in, in every way in all of those activities? Or is it just a matter of like, you know what, I'm going to work? Or I'm going to the gym, or I'm going to the pool, or I'm going to the rink, or I'm going on holidays, or I'm going, you know, and, and the thought about pleasing Jesus doesn't really come into our mind because it's not Sunday. You know, we've been trained in a sense to, well, we please Jesus on Sunday, we please Jesus at church, we, we please Jesus perhaps when we're involved in, quote, church activities, and those are the times where, you know, it's important to please Jesus, but at the rest of the time, I, I'm not really giving a whole lot of thought to that because I'm at work, or I'm at the gym, or I'm at the rink, or I'm at school, or, or whatever it is, and I'm into my day doing my thing, and you know, right now, this is my thing, and when it's Jesus' thing, I'll be sure to, to, to flick the switch, turn the knob, or flick the switch. But, but I don't think about pleasing Him in every way all day long. But it tells us that if we want to grow, there has to be a reason, right? There, there has to be some kind of internal or external motivation. And the external or internal motivation for all of this is that as Christ followers, we want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord. And from the moment that we get up till the time we put our, our heads down on our pillows at night, we want to please Him in every way. That's the motivation about growth. Because if you choose not to grow you're probably not going to live a life that's worthy of Him, and you're probably not going to please Him in every way. Not just in the some ways, but in, in every way. So growth is important. In the Christian life, there's this tension of understanding that there is something that God does for us because we are connected to Him, we are united with Him. Paul loves the expression, being found in Christ or in Him. But it's speaking about this union that happens to us. The moment we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. We're, we're one with Him. He, he is not only in us, and we talk about that, right? That, that Christ is in me. But more importantly, we are found to be in Him. That's the expression the Apostle Paul loves in his letters. Being found in Him. And so whether you, you understand all of the ramifications of that theologically, we, we start off with that. Every Christian starts off with that reality. That you are in Him. Whether you know a lot or you know a little, you are in Him. And there's a part of that being in Him means that there are certain things that Christ does for us, even though sometimes we don't understand that or aren't thinking about it. But then there's this also, there's this human aspect of it where the Bible tells us that there are certain things that we ought to do. But beginning with the premise that we are already found to be in Him or united with Him. In fact, it's that union with Christ that makes our part possible. Because if we are not found to be united or in Him, then the external stuff that we try to do is not going to bear any fruit. And one of the things that we're told here is that we're to bear fruit in every good work. And so, there is the God part, and then there is the Christ follower part. 
Now, for the most part, I'm going to be speaking to you this morning about the Christ follower part. But I would be remiss, I would be incorrect theologically to start with that. To start there, because there is all of that that happens for us because of what Christ has done for us and our union with Him. But our goal is this, is to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in every way. Now, some of you may have come from backgrounds, or some of us, not just some of you, some, some of us, that you may have never felt like there was anything to live up to in your family. In fact, some of us try to run from our families. The reputation of, of what they did or what they were up to or how they lived and what the neighborhood knew about them. If there was some kind of problem, you know, there was a divorce or there was alcoholism or there was abuse and there was stuff going on in the home that we really didn't want people to know about. They whispered about it, but we didn't want anybody talking about it out loud. And so sometimes when we think about living a life worthy, that's not what we're thinking about at all. Sometimes we're thinking about, you know what, I want to forget that and I want to start my own legacy and I'm not worried about living up to anything because in my family there wasn't a whole lot to live up to. And so the concept of living a life worthy of uh, because of somebody or for somebody may be a little bit strange to some of us. So if the family life wasn't good, if the heritage wasn't good, just, just let that be. Leave that with the Lord. And understand that now as a Christ follower, understanding now that you're part of a new family, the family of God, that we have a responsibility to live a life worthy of the Lord. Like Jesus the captain, the perfecter of our faith. And that our responsibility now is not to please mom and dad, not to please the profs, the teachers, not to please the employers, not to please my parents, not even to please my spouse, although please do. She's not here right now, but please do. But to please Him. Him. That's your responsibility. So it tells us that that there are ways to do that. And the first thing it says, if we're choosing to grow, is that we realize that we have a responsibility to bear fruit in every good work. Now, this is, again, one of these biblical expressions that sometimes messes this up a little bit if we're not familiar with uh, some of the, the Bible styles of writing. Bearing fruit. You think, well, trees bear fruit. I've been to Florida, and if you're there at the right time of the year, there are oranges or there are grapefruits. If you're in Essex County, apple trees are bearing fruit. The, uh, the wineries, they're bearing fruit. We understand that. The, the Christian is called to produce something as well. And because it was an agricultural society back in the days of, of the New Testament, uh, the writers, whether it was Jesus or Paul, often used these expressions, these metaphors, to help us understand about being productive, that we are to, to bear fruit, that if a tree is healthy, if a vine is healthy, it will bear fruit. If you go to John 15 you'll see this played out for us in the Gospel of John where he talks about branches you know, being attached to, to the vine and, and, and abiding or remaining in Christ. And the idea is this, that if you have the vine growing in great strength, 
and the branches begin to grow out, and then eventually the grapes begin to produce. All of that is very natural because of what they're attached to. If it's a healthy vine and branches are attached to that healthy vine, then in season what will happen is you will see grapes. And you see that in and around Essex County. If you go to the Niagara region at the right time of the year, you see it there. And and the expectation is this, if it's been a decent enough year, right? If the vineyard is healthy, that eventually you will start to see grapes produced on the branches because that's what they do. So as, as a Christ follower, you who are united or in Christ, again, to use Paul's expression, you would understand then that just because you're a Christ follower, you should produce fruit. Why? Because you're connected to Him. And because there's nothing but good things in Jesus, those good things will eventually be produced in your life. But, but in John 15... We also see that the father is the gardener and what he does is like any, any vineyard dresser does these days or, or anybody that works in the orchards, right? If there are branches that aren't producing, they're trimmed or cut back. Those kinds of things, they're taken care of so that the whole plant, the whole tree, the whole vineyard is, is producing good fruit. But the Bible reminds us that the father as the gardener works on us. He, he prunes us so that we will produce fruit. So fruit being produced comes from two ways. Because as a Christ follower, you are attached to Him because you've confessed Him as Lord and Savior and you've been placed in Him and the Spirit of God is now alive in you and so you will naturally produce good stuff. But also that the Father as the gardener prunes, trims back so that we will be as productive as, as we possibly can, and the fruit will be as healthy as it possibly can. Because the Bible says this, that we are to bear fruit in every good work. And this isn't just talking about your Christian activities, you know, the things that I do, I work in clubhouse, or I'm on the worship team, those kinds of things. No, no, no. This is, this is just talking about your service for the Lord, you know, 24-7, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, that we produce fruit in every good work, that we're bearing fruit in every good work. Every good work. Regardless of where you are, what you're up to, that we are bearing fruit in every good work. Secondly, if we want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord and and please Him in every way, we also have to understand that again, as part of our responsibility, is that we are to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, in the Greek, and remember, right, the, back in the good old days, 2,000 years ago, when the New Testament was first written, it was written in, in a language called Koine Greek, Common Greek. So, back when the New Testament was first penned, it was in this language. And, and the word grow often means this, increase. Just about every time you're talking about the word, our English word grow, if you go back to the the original language that the New Testament was written in, it, it speaks of increase. So we're expected to increase in the knowledge of the Lord. Now, increasing in the knowledge of the Lord just doesn't happen because you sit there and you hum a chant and you go, hmm, knowledge, knowledge, no. There has to be a choice to grow. Even when we think about growth in in the human realm, right? Your kids. We never said to our kids, do you want to grow? 
we've said to some of them, do you wish you'd grow up? But we never said, you know, do you want to grow? What we did was, is um, we fed them, we watered them, uh, we made sure they got a good night's rest, and little by little, as the days, weeks, and months uh, go by, guess what? Your kids grow. It seems somewhat, it seems somewhat magical, but it's not. You were feeding them, and you were watering them, and you were making sure they got their proper rest and maybe some exercise. And when you put the right ingredients into them, guess what? Things grow. For the first time in our life, this may not be a big deal to you, but we got a couple of poinsettias given to us back in November. I still have both of them alive. Do you guys usually keep them alive that long? Yeah, they're thriving. In fact, the ones producing new leaves and all that, they're, they're smaller plants. I got them up in the kitchen window, and every morning I go and love them. Because, I mean, I usually have them dead by December 25th. That's why I'm reluctant to buy them, you know. Often we get them as gifts, but I, I've got these too. But I, I'm making sure that I'm doing, I, I think, what, what they need, which apparently is not too much water and some sunlight, and they seem to, to thrive. Your kids grew, but it wasn't magical. It was because you, you poured ingredients into them. It's the same thing with your own walk. If you're going to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, folks, you've got to do something. You've got to put the right ingredients into yourself. Now, I could go on at length about those things, right? And I really don't want to do that because that's not real. I'm kind of dealing with the general stuff today. But obviously, your Bible and prayer time and, and, and being part of the church family and, and interacting with them, not just on Sunday, but in small groups and Bible studies and in ministry, sharing the workload together. I mean, there's, there's got to be some personal spiritual care and ongoing care. I mean, some of us, some of us treat our, our spiritual walk like your kids treat your plants. You go away on holidays for a couple of weeks, you leave the kids at home, which is a bad idea, but we do it. And all the plants in the house are wonderful and they're green and they're full of foliage. And maybe even some of them are you know, sprouting flowers. And we've been taking care of them and we say to the kids, Now, remember, water these plants. Take care of these plants. And the kids aren't into plants. And you go away on two weeks of holidays and you come back and how are your plants doing? The leaves are all over the ground. The plant's dead. And your thought is, well, I took care of it for years and years and years. It should have just kept living. No, you've got to keep pouring the right stuff into it. It doesn't matter how well you've cared for it in the past. If you don't keep taking care of it, at some point it's going to die. Answer your phone. Some of us, some of us have treated our walk with the Lord like that. We started off like gangbusters. Oh, we love Jesus. We love going to church. We used to go to Bible study. We couldn't get enough. And then at some point, we're not sure how it happened. We don't, we don't have it marked down on our calendar or in a journal. But we, we decided that we had learned and experienced enough, and so we stopped. And we're assuming that we're still green with foliage and we're still producing flowers or fruit. And guess what? You think you are. You've convinced yourself you are, but you're not. Because you, you, you forgot to keep choosing every day to continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. 
Folks, you never arrive. You never get there. Wherever there is in the Christian faith, you never get there. You've got to keep on taking care of yourself because the responsibility is this. It's not just about, you know, taking care of me so I look all wonderful. It's about taking care of myself so that every day I continue to live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing Him in every way. That's why we do it. Third, being strengthened with all power. Now, I, we spent a lot of time, Pastor Nathan and I did in January, from the passage in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 and 11, talking about that resurrection power. So again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But the idea is, if we choose to grow, we're continuing to be strengthened. Spiritually strengthened. The first one talks about growing in the knowledge of the Lord, in the sense that we understand more about our Christian faith and we understand more about Jesus. The third one here, being strengthened with all power, is all about this. It's about endurance and perseverance. So this is a risky thing for me to do an athletic illustration. But bear with me. If you're going to go and run a marathon or climb Mount Everest or do one of those, one of the, one of the ones that they, they bike, they swim, and they run, what's that one, the triathlon thank you all the athletes knew it to me triathlon is meat potatoes and dessert but that's another story some of you can relate to that I think more of you can relate to that than the other one yeah but but there's a conditioning level that needs to take place there in order to do that stuff or you don't finish or worse you die The whole idea is you you continue to strengthen yourself because there's a certain level that you have to rise to in endurance or strength or whatever it is in order to do those things. Ordinary folks can't do those things. You just can't get out there and run, you know, 42K or or climb Mount Everest. You've got to build yourself up to that stuff. Spiritually speaking, it, it talks about being strengthened with all power because of this. Because the Christian faith, in a sense, is likened to a race. Uh, the Apostle Paul, again, the writer, uh, quotes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he talks about running the race, finishing the race. And, and he uses all kinds of athletic illustrations, or sometimes military ones, to remind us that you, you need to be strengthened. Why? Because sometimes it gets challenging in the Christian faith. If you continue to read on here in this passage of Scripture, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have what? Great endurance and patience. You can't have great endurance and patience if you don't bear fruit, if you don't grow in the knowledge of the Lord, and if you don't exercise yourself spiritually so that you become powerful. I'm not a prophet. You've heard me say that a thousand times. But I can tell you this. Every single person in this room is going to have multiple tests that are going to challenge your faith. It's going to challenge your spiritual stamina. And some of you will cut it and some of you won't. And the reason why some won't isn't because their tests were overwhelming. It's because they were never strengthened with all power and they never had the endurance and the patience necessary to sustain themselves in the challenge. And so what do they do? They quit. Fourth, choosing to grow, giving joyful thanks. 
I'm not sure which word is more important here, giving or joyful. Christians need to be both. But I think the emphasis here is, is actually on the thanks. But it reminds us about giving. How do you grow? How, how, do you, how do you please God in every way? There's an attitude of giving. Now, I know what some of you are going to think. You're thinking, you know, Pastor Brent, you know, he's going to talk about the offering. No, I'm not going to talk about the offering. You guys do great jobs with taking care of the finances of this church. We're honored to to lead you in those things. Giving, it's this giving attitude that we should have. It's not just about giving from our money or our wallets or purses, although I'm sure sometimes that is necessary. But it's the idea that we are not We're not trying to bear fruit. We're not trying to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. We're not trying to be strengthened with all power just for me. But that when I am doing these things, it gives me a greater capacity at the end of every day to give away. To to give myself away in service. Uh, To give Jesus away through gospel sharing. That we are givers. That we are those that bless we are those that encourage. We are those that strengthen other people. That, that's our emphasis. That all of this isn't just about look at me. It's, it's not like about, you know, some of the guys that work out in the gym. And again, you know, I've, I've read stories. Um, you know, and, and, and they're the, the, the flexors, right? They build up the big biceps and all of that, and then they flex. I would rather you take that down to the beach and let the girls see it, to be honest. But some just want to flex and stare at the mirror and go, I'm so glad I'm me. There's nobody else I'd want to be than me. And so the focus is me. But if we're bearing and growing and being, then eventually we'll get to the attitude of, giving because if we're not growing we're dying if we're not being strengthened we're getting weaker and if we aren't giving we're withholding being naturally connected or supernaturally connected to Jesus Christ that metaphor that we use from John 15 being united with him abiding in him means this that we will bear much fruit with Him, because apart from Him, the passage goes on to say in John 15 and 5, that we can do nothing without Him. And so we remain in Christ and we bear much fruit, understanding without Jesus that we can do nothing. But, but who's the fruit for? The fruit's not for the tree. The fruit's not even for the picker. Who's the fruit for? The consumer. Who's the consumer? You and me. Think about it this way. This might terrify you. In every interaction that you have with people, every interaction that you have with people, the people that you're interacting with are consuming what you, what you are giving them. Ever wonder what it tastes like to eat some of our fruit? Ever wonder about that? I mean, in the Bible, fruit is, is generally seen as, or almost always seen as, something good, 
It's a positive. But if we think for a moment that every day, whether you know it or not, you're giving something away. What are you giving away? Some of us should be withholding some of our stuff that we're giving away. It would be best if we just kept it to ourselves. The attitudes and the behaviors and all of those kinds of things, it would be best if we just hung on to that. But that's not the way it works, right? Every conversation that you have, every meeting that you have, every interaction that you have, you're giving something away. But what we're supposed to be giving away is not bitter fruit. We're supposed to be giving away, and it's not even something. We're supposed to be giving away what? Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, and he talks about this, that Christians, Christ followers, we give off a fragrance. It's the fragrance of life, or it's the fragrance of death. Now, the fragrance of death isn't related to our conduct. It's related to this, how people perceive and receive the gospel. To some who receive it, the gospel message is the fragrance of life. To those who reject it, who harden their hearts, who want nothing to do with this, it's the fragrance of death. But all of that comes through a channel. The branches. The fruit grow on the branches. We are the branches. Jesus is the vine. And people are consuming our stuff every day. So what do we want them consuming? We don't want them consuming us. We want them consuming and tasting Jesus. Because there's another passage in the Bible that says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So think about this. As someone who wants to bear good fruit, that wants to choose to... to to, to honor God in every way, that understands that we're, we're supposed to be giving joyful thanks, that we're those that give away. What, what are you giving away Monday to Sunday, 8 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night? Is it something that draws people to Christ and to the Gospel? Or is it something that chases them away from that, that says this, well, hey, if that's, you know, if Jerome's, pardon me, Jerome, but you're there. If... If Jerome's an example of what it means to be a Christ follower, if Jerome's a piece of Jesus' fruit, I'd rather have bread and peanut butter. Think about that. Don't, don't take off the Jesus because it's a work day or it's a school day and feel like you only need to put them on when you're you know, doing something that's spiritual. As a Christ follower, everything you do is spiritual. Everything you do. The Bible tells us this, right? In, in all that we do and think, we are to honor God. Everything. There is nothing in your life that is secular or outside of God. You can go play golf and, and honor God in the way you conduct yourself. Because I want you to know if there's a game that's going to test whether you swear or not, it's going to be golf. Everything. What are people tasting? What does Jesus sound like, look like, and feel like? Because our goal at the end of the day isn't, again, isn't about flexing in the mirror and look at all the Bible verses that I've learned. At the end of the day, the whole idea is to live a life worthy of Him and pleasing Him in every way. It would be wonderful 
Because look, this is the only gospel that some people see and hear. It would be wonderful if after your interactions with somebody, they would say this, you know what, I know Jerome's a Christian, and I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I know one thing, if it's because of Jesus that he's that way, I want that Jesus. Rather than, whoa, if that's what Christians look and sound like, whoa. Choose to grow. Because if you don't choose to grow, you're not going to live a life worthy of Him and you're not going to please Him in every way all day long regardless of what you and I are doing. If you haven't chosen to grow, what have you then chosen to do? You might say, well, the quick answer is not grow. No, I, I, I think the quick answer is die. Eventually. Slowly, perhaps. But it you'll get there. If you don't make steps for growth, if you don't allow yourself to become malleable, workable, what have you chosen to become? Because we have to think of what the other side of the coin is. If we're not making a conscious choice every day to grow, to live a life that's worthy of Jesus and to please Him in every way, what have we chosen? We have chosen this. We have chosen to live for self. And you and I were not called to live for self. Galatians chapter 2, right? Verse 20. It's no longer Brent that lives, but it's Christ that lives in Brent. It's no longer Rob who lives, but it's, it's Christ that lives in Rob. It's no longer, you know, Manny that lives, but it's Christ that lives in Manny. I mean, we, we, we die to self so that we might live for Christ. And it's possible because we're united with Him. And it's possible because we take active steps to grow and to cooperate with the union that we already have with Him. If you choose to grow, you will bear fruit in every good work. You will be a blessing to others. If you choose to grow, you will grow in your knowledge of God, which will help you understand His will and His purpose for your life. And to teach you to live for Him and to be like Him. If you choose to grow, you will be strengthened so that you can gain endurance and patience through all the struggles that you face. And trust me, they will come. You're welcome. If you choose to grow, you will be joyful. You will be a joyful and thankful believer. And people will see the joy and the thankfulness in your life. And some at least will wonder why that is. And some will take a step towards the Lord. Because you have been living a life worthy of Him. And you've been trying to please Him in every way. At work, at home, and at play. And some will be curious. And some will ask. And some will follow. The last slide I have there. I am better than I was yesterday, but not as good as I will be tomorrow. That's what happens when we choose to grow. Never going to be perfect. We're never going to get it all perfectly done this side. But we must decide to continue to choose to grow, or we're going to be like that dead, planted, potted plant, you know, in the house. It did so well for so many years, but when it's neglected, regardless of how many good things you poured into it in the past. But because you neglected it, not only did it not grow, 
it died. Choose. Choose to grow. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father,